Can we give God a clap offering also? Kathy and I are so privileged to be here today. Kathy grew up in this area, Northern Virginia. She's there with me here on the front row. And we do have seven kids and we're adopting an eighth, believe it or not. I don't know. So we we just kind of enjoy kids. And um, Jim said I had three or four this morning. I thought he was going to pay for the rest. Made me really happy for a second. Um, (laughs) Humor aside, it's such a blessing to be here. Jim and Angie are dear friends, as are Brett and Cynthia. It's four of our best friends in the world. Uh, We're privileged to call them friends. Let me talk to you a moment about the prophetic conference. You've hosted it the eighth straight year. And the Wednesday night before the prophetic conference and the Friday night of the prophetic conference is open without registration. And this year we're doing the first year ever a prophetic school. And we have prophetic ministers in the every nation world from four continents coming together. Uh, There'll be 75 honestly extraordinarily gifted people prophetically And Wednesday night and Friday night, we're basically turning them loose into the congregation to prophesy over people. So that basically means hundreds and hundreds of people are going to receive personal prophecy. Um, I really encourage you, don't miss that. The Bible says you war a good warfare by the prophecies that have gone before you. And that means, you know, God will speak to you, confirmation, direction. I encourage you. This is just a great opportunity to, to be prayed for by people who are honestly tremendous. Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this church. Lord, you, the Bible says you, you ordained us. You positioned us to bear fruit. And you've positioned this church in the, the most influential city politically in the whole world. And Lord, I pray God you'd use us like never before and you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I wrestled over what to speak this morning. I've had the privilege of being with uh, Jared Green and the staff in our youth conference with hundreds of college students. Last night, honestly, thank you for hosting this conference. We saw 45 students water baptized, hundreds here being touched, called to the ministry, healed, crying. It was just a beautiful weekend. I loved my message so much last night. But I've got to preach this one, so I'm kind of caught in betwixt the two. You've heard the word destiny. Somehow you're born with a destiny. You may say, is that really me? Because I was unplanned. Or like so many young people I've heard, praying over them to be healed, they say, well, Pastor Jim, the thing that hurts me most is my mom looked at me and said, I wish I would have aborted you. Can't tell how many times I've heard that. So maybe because you feel like, oh, I was a wanted, or if I was so valuable, why did my dad leave? Or if I was so valuable, why couldn't my parents stay together to rear me? As painful as that is, it does not negate one thing in this world. You were an accident in the mind of God. You were wanted by him before you were born. And you were placed here for a reason, whether you were raised in foster care, adoptive family, biological family, planned, unplanned, born out of wedlock, born in wedlock. One thing is true. God's preparing you for something he's prepared for you to do. I'm going to subtitle this message this morning very simply this. Are you prepared to do what God has prepared for you? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, 
You're God's handiwork. That's a nice way of saying God's working on you. Sound familiar? God's working on you. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do something, but these good works were prepared in advance for us. That means you are being prepared for things that were prepared for you before you were born. You were born into this world to reach certain people, to impact a place or places, and to fulfill a purpose, part of which is your profession. Now, is this really true? I want to comment this morning on the very fact that you came into this world to see certain individuals touch for Christ. You may be thinking, well, God does a pretty good job and, you know, how's God really need my help? We know, at least theologically, in Romans 10, 14, and 15, the Bible says, how can a human call on one they've not believed in? And how can a human believe in one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach? That word's got a lot of connotations. How can anyone share their faith, talk about their faith, unless they're sent? God says, unless someone shares with other humans, they won't get it. You may think, well, what if an angel came to them? How many of we see that in the Bible? What if God appeared? Let me tell you a story. My, my son, Peter and Anna, are, you know, Peter kind of helped grow up in this church, went to college here. He's like one of Brett's kids, and he's one of the people he's supporting. He and his wife have lived on the Syrian border for years. Not, kind of, not, not a lot of people go there to vacation. And they just had triplets, so they moved an hour and 20 minutes off the border if you can be safe over there. And Peter told me a story and he and his wife were living at the time in a very dangerous refugee camp and a young man was released from prison for interesting activities. And his first night back, he was a very radical young man, happened to be Muslim. Let me tell you, the, the average Muslim is a wonderful person. Don't buy into the lie that all Muslims are, they're not. Amen. Let me just tell you right now, I've been all over the Syrian border. Th- those refugees hate radical Islam as much as you do. Just trust me, amazing people around the world. Now, watch this. Peter said this young man was in bed, and all of a sudden, Jesus Christ appeared to him. This is his story. He said, Peter, I woke up, there was a man in white shining with a cross in his hand. He said, take this cross and follow me. I mean, that's a fairly serious invitation. We didn't understand it. He, who was going to interpret Take this cross and follow me. Who was going to do that? So he runs through the refugee camp. Peter, Peter, I'm ready to listen now. Peter wakes up and the young man turns to Christ. You see, the issue was God was doing his part, but he needed a human to do their part. I want to examine Two very interesting stories in the New Testament this morning. We'll call them, as one scholar chooses to call them, double vision stories. That means there are more than two, but I want to look at two. Two unique events where God is preparing an unlikely person to be saved while he prepares 
the very person that's going to share with them. How many of you have a list of unlikely people to be saved? Just be honest, raise your hands. Like you're thinking, if they ever get saved, there's, that's, existence for the, that's evidence for the existence of God. Now, I want to look at two of them. One is named Ananias. He's an ordinary man in the church. He's a disciple. You never hear of him again. There's only one story, but it's not a bad one. He is the man that leads Saul, who became the apostle Paul, to Christ. I mean, that's not bad. The second one is Peter, who had to basically overcome his own bigotry, his own ethnocentricity, to reach a Roman centurion, the most hated man on his list, and the Gentile world erupted in evangelism. Now, I want to track these two stories, Ananias and Peter, and then I want to help you come to grips with, who was I born to reach? Why am I here? What do these burdens? Now, here's what you're going to discover in these stories. We're always thinking, God's real problem is the resistance of the culture. God's real problem is the resistance of people. No, God's real problem is resistance of his church. I am convinced that all over our fractured culture right now, all over our hurting culture right now, where people are afraid and fractured and wondering, God is moving on them. God is preparing them. And he's not preparing them for Pastor Brett. He's not preparing them for Jared, who's an amazing evangelist to us up here. He's not preparing them for Pastor Jim. He's preparing them for you. Now, how does this work? When we, when we find the story of Ananias, we find it in Acts 9, 10, and 11. <coughs> so the Bible says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Having his morning devotions, praying away. I guarantee that would be the day he wished he wouldn't have opened his Bible. He didn't have a Bible in those days, just the Old Testament. And the Lord called him in a vision. That means there was an impression on the screen of his imagination. He saw the Lord and said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him one of the most frightening two-letter words in the Bible, go. You're going to go somewhere, he's thinking. I'm going to breakfast. I'm going to have a lamb kebab. I'm going to start me a new business. I mean, Lord, you're going to bless me. I can feel it. It's my day. You've come to me. Hallelujah. Go to the house of Judas. How many of Judas? Not a real good name. Go to the house of Judas. Different one. He goes, that ain't sounding good. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man. He's thinking, my Lord, I got that money for my business. God is moving. Here we go. Ask for a man from Tarsus. He goes, Tarsus. Uh-huh. <coughs> Why does that ring a bell? Like I've been hearing about this man named Tar- from Tarsus who's coming to kill us. I got to be a different one. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Saul, for he is praying. He's thinking, you telling me to go? That's the man we're hiding from. He's on the way. He's probably thinking, I ain't going. God says, oh, and by the way, I've already showed him your face while he's praying. (laughs) Showed him my face. Yeah, I figured you'd be a little reluctant. So I gave him a vision too, and he's waiting for you. Now, how many of you know that's just wrong of God? You're trying to hide from someone, and God reveals you. Saul, a man named Ananias, I'm telling you who he is. That way you can find him if he doesn't come. Meanwhile, meanwhile, 
God has been touching Saul. Now watch this. Acts 9, 3 through 6. Paul has been voted every year in high school least likely to be a Christian. (laughs) He's just seen Timothy Stone. I mean, he is your nightmare. Nightmare. He's on his horse. He's on the way to Damascus, which is in Syria today, Damascus, to not to preach, but to put them in prison and to kill them. The Bible says he's breathing slaughterings. He's the one person, the one man, the one woman you think they'll never be safe. In fact, they're a threat to me. They're dangerous to me. They scare me. They could wreck my career, wreck my life. I just know they're filled with hate. But Paul's on the way to Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Jesus is standing in front of him, but he doesn't know who he is. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Get up and go into Damascus. You'll be told what to do. It says later in that passage, it says, all the men with him heard the sound, but saw nothing. And they took him by the hand. He was blind. There are people in your life right now, your dorm, your corporation, your company, your office, your neighborhood, your civic club, your high school. God has moved on them, but there's no one in their circle. There's no one in their friendship group that explain to them, that's what happened to you. That's who you saw. That's who you saw. And when he, for three days, he sat blind. You know why it took three days? It took God three days to convince Ananias to go to him. Now, three days is an interesting number in scripture. Jesus, three days in the tomb. Uh, Jonah, three days in the whale's belly. It's an intense period of time that basically comes right before God does something very important. Ananias said, and Ananias had all his problems. Lord, in Acts 9, 13 through 16, I've heard his many reports. I heard he's come to harm us. I heard he's terrible. God's one one answer was, go. I've chosen him to change history. We know the story finally in Acts 9, 17 through 20. Ananias, you're never going to hear from him again, walks down straight street, goes to the house of Judas, knocks on the door, and is looking at his Worst nightmare, broken and blind. Saul, he says. Brother Saul, how's that? Think about the word of faith. It might be the bad Saul, going to kill him. Brother Saul, I'm saying it by faith. Please, Jesus, let him be a brother. <laughs> brother Saul, <laughs> is that you? Brother Saul, blind, he goes, oh, I've been waiting for you. And I goes, dear God, why'd you tell on me? Okay. The same Jesus who appeared to you, talk about a word of knowledge, on the road as you are coming has sent me so you can be seen and be filled with the Spirit. The rest is history. All of history changed because Ananias did what he was born to do. You've got a Saul waiting for you. Now, the next story is the story of Peter. How many of you know Peter makes all of us feel better in the Bible. Why? 
He's the only man or woman, either of any gender, in the Bible rebuked by all three members of the Trinity. I mean, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. The Father said, shut up and listen to my son. The Holy Spirit said, stop calling unclean what I call clean. Basically, he was bigoted. If you weren't a Jew, he didn't like you. Now, I have to admit, his ethnicity had basically been exterminated by this time in history. Disappeared, forcefully cleansed, enslaved, brutally raped. And they hated the rest of the world. And that pain had leaked down into their religious expression. And they were the people called to reach you and I. And honestly, they have such a terrible story, you can hardly blame them. But here was the bad news for Peter. Not only was he going to reach Gentiles, he was going to reach a Roman soldier. The oppressor. The people that would soon burn Jerusalem to the ground and take every captive and make them slaves. Rape, kill. He's up, it's lunchtime. You know the story, Acts 10. He's up, he's hungry, and all of a sudden, a big sheet comes down from the sky. He looks in, I mean, there's shrimp, there's pork, there's barbecue. God says, take, eat. He goes, I won't eat. I'd have jumped in that sheet and been thankful. (laughs) Eat, I won't eat, it's unclean. God says, be careful with that. It comes down a second time. I mean ribs, I mean shrimp, I mean catfish, everything God calls a man to eat. Eat, I will not eat it. Let me tell you right now, there was no sprouts and kale in that sheet. Eat, I won't eat it. God I I had my grill fired up, been thankful. God, here I come. Come down the third time. Eat, I won't eat it. Let me tell you now, what's in your sheet? Republican Party? Democratic Party? Sexual Orientation? Demography, gender, what's in your sheet? What's unclean to you and I today? Oh, there's always something. But what if one of the people you were born to reach is part of that demographic? What if they're abhorrent to you? What if they've exploited you, abused you? hurt you. Well, well, then why would God use me? Because God loves to do the unexpected. Why would God bring Peter to a Roman soldier? Like, why start with the Roman soldier? Why not just kind of like a kind of a desperate Gentile, maybe a nice business person? <laughs> like, like you know, Peter says, like, how about like a Gentile that's converted to Judaism? I might make that. I mean, at least he's kind of slipped into multi-ethnic Christianity. He's kind of halfway decent. But a Roman soldier, my God, a stormtrooper. You just, why? Now, why Peter is fighting with God because he's been called to reach a person that's unclean to him. He didn't even know it's about people yet. And God says, son, there's going to be a knock at your door. Whoever you see, go. Meanwhile, there's a Roman centurion. He is probably the lead centurion of a court called the Italian band, the Bible says, who basically is the authority in that part of the Roman world. Probably an auxiliary court, which meant maybe a lot of them weren't yet Roman citizens. 
This man Cornelius is searching for God, but he can't find him. He's tithing, he's giving, he's loving the Jewish people. But he, he is, I got to get there. And an angel appears and says, and God will tell on you. The angel appears and says, go to the house of Simon the Tanner and ask for a man named Peter. How many know God just didn't fare? He's telling on you. So Cornelius goes, oh, they're Jews and they don't like us much. I can't, you understand, in Jewish law, Peter could not, unless you're Jewish today, Peter would not have gone into your house. He wouldn't have welcomed you into his home. He wouldn't have touched you. He wouldn't have eaten with you because you're Gentile. Whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Hispanic American, black American, white American, you're Gentile to Peter. Peter goes, who's at the door? Praise God, my blessing is on the way. Who's at the door? Open it. And a Roman soldier standing there. I'm Peter goes, my life just ended. They're coming to arrest me. Are you Peter? Uh, no, but I think I've heard of him. <laughs> my master, centurion Cornelius, sent me. Peter goes, it's getting worse than I thought. <clears throat> Maybe you have the wrong Peter. An angel came to him and said, go to Peter. He has the way of life for you. Go to Peter. He's waiting for you. You know the story. Peter journeys all the way to Cornelius. He opens the door. Cornelius falls to his knees and said, three days ago, an angel came to me and I saw you. And he told me you. And Peter said, he picked him up. He said, you know, I've been taught from childhood, don't ever enter the house of a Gentile man. They'll exploit you. They'll abuse you. You know something? It was all true. But now I know God's not ethnocentristic. Now I know that God even loves my oppressors. Now I know that God even loves my abusers. Now I know. Now I know. And he began to preach and Pentecost took place in a room of Roman soldiers, the most mobile Gentiles in the world. Who's in your sheet? Who's in there? What if one of the people you were born to reach is there? Some man, some woman, Who are they? When I think of the people that God has had me reach and touch, dictators, murderers, atheists, gay, lesbian leaders, when I think of some of the people I was born to touch, I'm staggered by it. I ended up in a room with one of America's most notorious atheists. He got tricked into seeing me. I got tricked into seeing him. They wouldn't even tell me who he was. But I was born to look him in the eyes. You weren't just born for yourself. 
You were born with people to reach, places to touch, and purposes to walk in. Your life is not an accident. God himself is preparing you for people. He is already preparing for what you're going to do. How would you like to know some of the people God has prepared you for? Raise your hand if you would. Let me tell you how this works. The country's fractured right now. My heart's in agony over what I see in our country, just to be honest. Concerned. I pray for who's ever president. I always have. It's my command. And I've learned long ago to put my hope in heaven. But I'm concerned. But the ultimate answer is the people of God demonstrate his love and his standards and his righteousness. We're in one of those moments we're born for. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to show you how to do this. Stand right up. Watch this. I want to help you identify people being prepared for you right now. How would you like that? You go, well, well, like, what if I'm wrong? Well, what's the worst thing that happened? You're going to pray for him. That ain't bad, is it? Like, what if I'm praying for the wrong person? Oh, is there a wrong person to pray for? Okay, you get that. Now, Ananias, like in a little vision, which really means there was an impression on his imagination and like this, and Saul, I mean, oh my God, he wished he wouldn't have prayed that day. But we're going to pray now. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit either to bring to the screen of your imagination or a name to your mind of some men and some women that you need to be praying for. And when they come to your mind and come, they will. I'm going to ask that you pray for them every day for the next five days and ask for God to strategy to talk to them. Maybe it's inviting them to church. Maybe it's inviting them to your campus ministry. Maybe it's just reaching out. Can I pray for you? You were born for a reason. You're here for a moment in time. You're here for a reason. Remember walking to an African nation where they've been horribly exploited by white people for years and years. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in a lot of countries apologizing. But the shoe was on the other foot and this man was a Marxist and, and he was in the process of dealing with that problem in his own way and I ended up sitting in front of his desk. Armed guards everywhere. I was a little afraid. The Spirit of the Lord came on me and I reached out and ministered to him one of our every nation leaders, Rice Brooks, and all his grandkids were saved. He was crying. His wife was crying. And I realized if God could use a crazy old white person like me in a country that where white people had almost destroyed it, 
How many of you know God's just pretty powerful, isn't he? If God can use me, he can use you. With unexpected people. In unexpected situations. Close your eyes right now. Say, Jesus, show me who I should pray for. Show me who I should reach out to. Now let me pray. Lord, bring names to them. Bring faces to them. Impress people on their hearts. I'm asking you right now. I'm asking you by your spirit. If you're already getting impressions of names and faces, wave your hand at me. All over the room. Now, Jesus, give them grace to pray. Give them grace right now, Lord, to invite. I'm calling these great people into everything you have.